Hi. Hi. Welcome to the Foundry. Uh, I'm so very glad that you are here today, whenever you are, wherever you are. Uh, I'm glad that you are here for this moment. Good Easter to everyone. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful time of the year. Uh, and, and I'm so grateful that you uh, are here with us as we get to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, so today I want to look at the Easter story, obviously. Uh, but I want to look at something within the story that I think we often overlook. Something that I think really, really speaks to the nature of God that we kind of run right by and maybe don't even give a second thought to. And so um, if we can understand this, I think this will give us kind of a picture, a new picture, a new way to think of and understand not only God, but like Jesus and the resurrection and the whole thing. So I'm really excited for this and I'm excited that you are here. So turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 20. Uh, where we're at in the story, uh, obviously we know today is resurrection, it's Easter, we get all that. But up to this point in the story, this is not a real exciting sort of time. This is a low place. We went through Good Friday. If you participated in the Good Friday service, the whole idea was to get us to understand the hurt, the despair that the people would have been sensing and feeling at this time. And so this has continued. They've watched Jesus die. He's been on the cross. He's been laid in the tomb. And as far as they know, nothing has changed. That has changed. They've lost all hope. All has been, has been taken from them. And so up to this point, uh, everything's gone. And now Mary goes to the tomb early in the morning. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 11 through 16. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. <clears throat> As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. So this moment right here, this is the big moment, okay? This whole resurrection thing, this, this, this is the moment that we've been waiting for, because the truth is, is that anybody can die, we're, we're all going to die. Happy Easter, we're all going to die. That's not the good news. Anybody can do that. Up to this point in the story, the story is the same. What happens about this, what makes this so different, what makes this so interesting and so much hope for us is resurrection. That death has been defeated, that death has overcome. This is what brings new life. This is the hope of the church. This is the hope of, of Christianity. This is the hope of all humanity. Resurrection. Resurrection. Without that, it's, it's nothing, really. It's just another guy who's put to death. Paul talks about the importance of resurrection in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take a look at this. He says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Our preaching is useless. What am I doing here? I don't know. If, if resurrection doesn't happen, what do you believe? It doesn't matter. <laughs> do you see? Even Paul talks about the importance of resurrection. If this does not happen, it's just a guy who was put to death and died just like everybody else. Now, Mary comes to the tomb on this morning. 
She sees that Jesus is not there. She begins to cry. She talks to some angels. Uh, then she begins to speak to Jesus, but she doesn't realize it's Jesus. And, and I want to look at verse 15 again, because this is the bit I think gets overlooked and speaks to the nature of who God is. Verse 15, take a look at verse 15 again. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. This is the bit that I think we, we overlook. And this is what I want to focus on today. This little line right here, thinking he was the gardener. It's easy. How many times have you read this and read right over it and not given it two thoughts other than that's weird. Why didn't she know it was Jesus? What's going on? But th- this, is a, this is also a big moment. You have resurrection and then Jesus being mistaken by Mary as the gardener. This is one of those little things that I think carries a lot of weight that we overlook. Uh, for example, like last week when we talked about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, you have this thought that all these people are so excited that Jesus is coming to rescue and save them, but it's not in the way they have in mind. And the fact that he's riding on a donkey sends a revolutionary message of peace that the people entirely miss. So much so, if you remember, Jesus wept for them and said, if you only knew what would bring you peace on this very day. So I wonder if something like this, thinking he was the gardener, isn't John's way of doing something similar. Thinking he was the gardener. This is what we're going to talk about today. Today, This is it. This is, what's the implications of this phrase, thinking he was the gardener? So today, I would like to humbly submit for your consideration a few thoughts about gardens and gardening. Now, here on this table right here, this is all plants that belong to me <laughs> that, I, that I've been growing, and I have this little greenhouse I've been growing. I've got some good stuff here. I've got, this is mint and a little basil. These are just a few cuttings I take. This is all tomatoes, all different kinds of tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, giant tomatoes, Cherokee tomatoes, yellow tomatoes, yellow pear tomatoes, all kinds of stuff. This is pigeon peas. Uh, this is a really cool uh, plant that produces a little pod that you can save the, the peas, and it's like a little lentil, and people eat this a lot in India. All the, everything that I grow is, is edible. This is an edible hibiscus, which is really, really cool. You can eat the leaves and also the flowers. This is uh, turmeric, which you can eat, and then these are all tomatoes Yeah, that, that I've just kind of pulled. These are volunteer tomatoes I've taken out of my garden and tried to get grown, and they seem to be doing okay. Now, when it comes to gardening, there's really... Uh, kind of two primary ways you can get things to grow. One is by taking a cutting, and one is by planting a seed. Okay, you probably know this, but just for fun. Uh, this is mint here. This is all um, that I've taken cuttings from other plants. Uh, so what I'm going to do, I'll show you how this works. You cut like right above the node, and you cut at a 45-degree angle, and then you, you take this, take some of these little guys off to, um, so it doesn't try to spend its energy in growing that. And then what I like to do is I get this... It's called rooting hormone, and I take this, and I just kind of dip the end of it in there, and it puts this particular powder that helps it grow to help it root easier, and then it's really simple. You just kind of stick it in, in the dirt, and then in a couple weeks, this thing will have new roots and begin to grow, and I'll have a whole new plant. It's really quite simple how this whole thing works, or the other option is to take, you know, like just a normal pot or whatever, how you're doing it, and take seeds. I've got some green beans. Here are some bush beans. I've already got a bunch of these going, but just for the example, right? Put a little hole. It's really simple. Take a seed, take a bean, Put normally put two in there, cover it right up. And then wouldn't you know, in just a short matter of time, out of this dirt, out of the soil, this new life will begin to grow. It will begin to sprout up out of this 
place. So, you know, as a, as a gardener, when I'm gardening, gardening, this is what I do. I plant, I plant, I plant, I plant, I take cuttings, I take seeds, I plant more and more and more. This is what a gardener does. So, in John chapter 12, John records Jesus predicting his own death, and I want you to see what Jesus says about Jesus' death. John 12, 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is talking about this idea of farming and gardening. And, you know, you take this, uh, unless the seed falls into the ground, unless it dies, unless it's buried, it will only remain one thing. But once it produces life after it's buried, it will has the ability to produce many, many things. So in this passage, Jesus talks about this kind of farming and gardening type thing. And then, this is John chapter 12, in John chapter 20, Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. It's kind of interesting. Maybe, maybe you're not that impressed. Let's keep going. Hopefully this will like sink in. A couple chapters later in John chapter 15, Jesus says this in John chapter 15 verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Well, that's kind of interesting. So all this passage is right now so far is just in the book of John. Now, if you back up to John chapter 10, 10, we see Jesus saying something else about himself. John says in 10 verse, 20, or 10 verse 30, sorry, I and the Father are one. So John records Jesus saying that I and the Father are one. Then he gives this picture of planting a seed that will bring life, that will produce other seeds. Then he records Jesus saying that the Father, who he is one with, is the gardener. And then you have Mary thinking he was the gardener. Right, so maybe there's a bit more to this whole thing about Mary mistaking Jesus for a gardener than we've given it credit. Maybe, maybe it's not so much a mistake. Maybe there's something there that we're meant to see and to know about who Jesus is. Okay, so if that's not enough, let's, let's take it a step further. What about this? Um, how does this whole story of the Bible begin? How does the whole story of the Bible begin? Where does it start? It starts with God speaking things into existence and creating uh, all of humanity, all of creation, then creating mankind, and um, he creates mankind, and then where does God put Adam? Puts them in the garden, right? So John, in, in John, Jesus refers to the Father as the gardener. In the story of creation, you have the gardener, God, creating what? A garden. And then God creates man in God's own image, which is the image of what? Is the image of a gardener. And then he puts him in the garden to do what? To also garden. So are you still tracking? I mean, this, it's a lot of words repeating, but I, I think it's, it's, it's important. So the gardener creates a garden, then creates other gardeners to take care of the garden that he created so that they may garden in the garden. <laughs> How many times can he say garden in one sermon? I mean, there, there's all kinds of little connections here. Now, once the gardener, God, creates the garden and then creates the gardeners, there's these new instructions that God gives to the gardeners that are made in his image, who is the gardener. You're still with me? If you've been through Forge, if you've been a part of a church for a while, this should sound familiar. But essentially, we, we call these the original commission, the six things that God gave man. You're, you're scrolling too fast on my notes. Go down. There you go. Let's stay there. (laughs) 
Thank you. I keep looking and they're like, they're gone too quickly. Uh, so God gives man the original commission. Six key things that, that he says, this is what you working, what the gardener should be doing in the garden. Now, a lot of times when we see these things, we put them in a particular context, which is Western modern America. And what we miss is the understanding of God and Jesus as the gardener. Okay, so uh, the, six, <laughs> the six things from the original commission, and, and if you're familiar with the Bible, you should know this, to rule and subdue, um, to be fruitful and to multiply, to work and to care for the garden. Now, often we take these rule and subdue things and we take, we take it to mean like, oh, well, we can treat the earth, God's creation as we see fit because we are the ones in charge and ultimately God's going to destroy it anyway. So, you know, might as well get out of it what we can, might as well exploit the natural resources. Yeah, except for when you put it in context of ruling and subduing and being fruitful and multiplying and working and care for the garden, when you put it in context of a garden and you put it in context of you were made in the image of the gardener to take care of the garden, then all of a sudden it takes on this whole new depth of meaning. There's a sense of responsibility that we have and that we are given for the creation that God has created. Yeah, so be fruitful. That's to, to help things be fruitful to rule and subdue, to, to be responsible for, to help things grow, to help this whole thing take shape because everything that God created is also creating more of itself. And he says to you, no, you are to help guide and shape and nurture and to help it grow. You see, when you go through the Hebrews text and you connect all these dots and you consider this aspect of who Jesus says God is and being the garden, all of a sudden it creates a different sort of picture. When you do all these things, guiding and shaping looking after the garden, when we do it the way that we were created to do in the image of the one that who created us, then when we do these things, then we are in fact bringing glory and honor and worship to the gardener. You see, that's what actually work and care for the garden has to do with. It's this way that when we do the things we're supposed to do, it brings glory and honor to God. So quick recap, okay? Quick recap so far. In the book of John, Mary mistakes Jesus as the gardener. John talks, uh, Jesus talks about gardening. Jesus calls the Father the gardener, and Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Okay. In the book of Genesis, God the gardener creates the garden and then creates gardeners in the image of God in order to place them in the garden so that they can, in fact, Garden, still with me. Now, the Apostle Paul makes these connections between the story of creation and the story of Jesus in a couple different places. So I want to take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, uh, 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all will die, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He talks about it in Romans, says something similar. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So in Christ, in Adam, all will die. In Christ, all will be made alive. And because of one trespass, all are condemned. Because of another act of righteousness, all people will be justified. You know, it's, it's really interesting, just a quick side note here. Isn't it interesting how when it comes to Christianity and the church, we so quickly accept the first bit about we're, we're all sinners, but then we don't quickly accept this one. We put a lot of conditions on this one for some reason. So we say, all die in Adam. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But then we're like, yeah, but all are given life through Christ. We're like, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of conditional things that go along with it. Anyways, that's a different sermon. So Paul makes this connection between Adam and Jesus. 
Adam, the one who's created in the image of the gardener and placed in the garden to garden, this connection between Adam and Jesus, the one who is mistaken for the gardener. Jesus becomes this picture of this new Adam. Just like Adam, he is now responsible for this new creation. Right, it's creation, but it's a whole new kind of creation. And what does the gardener do? The gardener helps bring things to life. The gardener helps guide and shape. The gardener, by planting, brings forth new life and brings forth a new creation. So maybe this little bit that John puts in here about Mary mistaking Jesus for the gardener, like maybe it's a, a bit more significant than we've really given it credit. Now, if, that, if that's not enough, let me give you another one. This is one thing we've mentioned before, but it's worth bringing up in light of this gardening context. Okay, so how does John begin chapter 20? Chapter 20, where he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and and recording uh, Mary mistaking Jesus for a gardener. How does he begin that chapter? He begins this chapter with this incredible little phrase. Do we have it? I don't, maybe I didn't tell him to get it. With this incredible little phrase, uh, early on the first day of the week. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week. We've talked about this before, but there's significance to that little phrase, early on the first day of the week. It's a reference to what is called the eighth day. The eighth day in the Jewish mindset was highly significant in terms of thinking of something new. Now, the eight, number eight was significant because of that, but also the number seven was significant in Jewish consciousness because the number seven was connected to the idea of wholeness and completeness. It was tied to the story of creation, uh, where God is created for six days and seven days he takes a rest, and he says on the seventh day that this is, the creation is complete. So the number eight then, or the eighth day, is tied to this concept, the first day of the week. So uh, the eighth day would carry with it the idea of something new has started. It's the first day of the week. It's the eighth day. It's the beginning of something brand new. Now, something that John does throughout his book and is careful to get us to see is that he numbers and highlights the miracles of Jesus. For example, in John chapter 2, when, John, when Jesus turns water into wine, John chapter 2 verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, not all of the, all of the um, miracles are labeled, but the first couple are. And so what we see is that from the time of, um, uh, of water turning into wine to the time Jesus is in the cross, there are seven miracles, okay? So here's the seven miracles, just in case you were wondering. Water into wine, healing the official sons, hearing, healing the paralytic, feeding 5,000, walking on water, healing the blind boy, raising Lazarus from the dead. After Jesus is executed on the cross, before he dies, John chapter 19, before our chapter today, he speaks this word that's become very famous. People were posting it all Friday. Uh, Jesus says, it is finished. So Jesus in John chapter 19 says, it is finished. And John chapter 20 begins with early on the first day of the week. So stay with me here. Stay with me. So seven days of creation wraps up with God completing creation saying what? It is finished. Seven days of creating, the gardener creates the garden. Seven miracles of Jesus recorded in the book of John from the beginning of turning water into wine until Jesus is on the cross. And when he's on the cross, Jesus says what after seven miracles? He says, it is finished. Then you have the burial of Jesus, and then you have the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection would then be the eighth sign would be the eighth miracle. And what is eight the sign of? It's the sign of something new. It's the beginning 
of a whole new thing. It's the first day of the second week of creation. So John chapter 20 begins John 20 with that little phrase, early on the first day of the week, which is a reference to the eighth day, which is a reference to something new that has now begun. You see, the eighth miracle happens on the eighth day. There is this whole new creation that is bursting forth from within the old. Jesus is sitting at the very heart of it all. And so maybe it's no surprise that when Mary begins to talk to Jesus, she mistakes him. And it says, thinking he was the gardener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you catching all this? Like, this is a lot of stuff, and hopefully um, we're, we're crafting it to, together in such a way that it's making sense. But let me, let me run back through all this, string it all together. Mary thinks he's a gardener. Jesus, this is all the book of John. Jesus tells a parable about gardening. Jesus speaks about God as the gardener. Then Jesus says that he and the Father are one. The story of the Bible begins with God, who Jesus says is the gardener, creating what? He creates a garden. Then creating humanity in the image of God, which is the garden, and then places the new gardener within the garden to take care of the garden. Then Paul makes all these connections between the first Adam and the second Adam being Jesus. The first Adam, who was created in the image of God, who Jesus again called the gardener, and was placed in the garden to shape and cultivate the creation. Paul makes the connection between the first Adam and the second second Adam, which is Jesus, who said he was one with the Father, who was referred to, he refers to as the gardener, and becomes the second Adam, in which Mary mistakes for a gardener. (laughs) Does that all click? He's the gardener of this new creation. Then John we're not done, takes it a step further by connecting it to these miracles and the creation and the miracles. Uh, he labels the seven miracles of Jesus following, uh, followed by Jesus on the cross saying it is finished, which is paralleling the, the seven days of creation, which God creates in the seventh day says it is finished. Then John begins chapter 20 by saying early on the first day of the week, which is the eighth day. So you have this resurrection of Jesus as the eighth sign happening on the eighth day and the number eight being a reference to something that is brand new. It's the first day of a new week. It's the first day of a brand new creation that is now burst forth in the middle of the old. And then Mary begins to speak to Jesus and she mistakes him for a gardener. Really? Really, John? I think we know what you're up to. I mean, how much more do we need? Jesus is the new Adam who has come to guide and shape the new creation, the new creation that is bursting forth in the here and now, the new creation that we are invited to participate with the gardener in, that as humans we are made in the image of the gardener and in fact invited to garden, thinking he was the gardener. And what does a gardener do? A gardener brings things to life. The gardener is the one who creates and plants and brings new creation. You see, this is the beauty of resurrection. Jesus goes into the grave, and three days later, he rises up. There is something new that has taken place, something new that has been given birth. There is a whole new creation that is taking place and growing out of the old. I mean, what if we actually began to think of God in terms of the gardener, rather than all the crazy things and different ways people think of it. Shouldn't that change our perspective? Shouldn't that deepen our understanding? Shouldn't that give us a bit of new insight about what God is like? 
You know, I, I've been, I've got this little greenhouse, like, it's really new to me. It's like a couple of weeks ago, I got it from Facebook Marketplace, got a really good deal, super cheap. I'm really excited about it. And so I've been like just trying to plant stuff all the time. All these tomatoes were little volunteer tomatoes that came up out of my old garden and I just transplanted them to see if they would grow so that I could give them away to other people. Um, yeah, and so I've been learning, learning, learning the past couple of years. I've uh, been making cuttings, been planting seeds, all kinds of wonderful stuff. Uh, I've got, in the gardener, I had this little misting system. It keeps everything nice and, and moist so it doesn't dry out, so everything is working the way it's supposed to. I absolutely love it. Um, so what I've been doing a lot of is just, uh, the past couple of years, is just learning. I've just been learning, trying to, trying to figure this stuff out, trying to figure out how all this stuff works. And so what I do is I talk to a lot of different types of people about gardening and how they do it because everybody seems to have a slightly different way and different takes and different insights. And of course, there's some universal principles that guide this whole thing of gardening, but some of it is like really unique and you get different people that have different perspectives on things and everybody has a different favorite plant. It's all kinds of wonderful stuff. So what I've noticed though, as I've talked to all these various gardeners about how to do this is that I know that, that most of them, there, there's like these similar qualities and traits that I find throughout most of these people. Similar qualities and traits that I think are fascinating that underneath whatever the surface is of that person, there are these, there are these kind of base characteristics and ways of viewing the world and thinking that they all seem to inherit. Now, I, I want to share some of those. And then I also want you to connect the thought or the idea that Maybe if we think of Jesus and God in this concept of the gardener, maybe some of these characteristics and traits that I've discovered with the people that I've talked to about gardening, maybe these traits will actually help us to describe and understand a bit of who God is. What if we thought of God as the gardener, right? So what, I, what I've noticed about most gardeners is that they're very patient, right? Most gardeners have this extreme sense of patience because there's a decent amount of time that's spent in the garden, taking care of the plants, um, ha- uh, waiting for things to grow. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. Even this tray I planted a couple weeks ago, and so just now they're this tall. These have just kind of been ongoing for, I don't know, a couple of months. I cut them and plant them and cut them and plant them. These things have been uh, going for several, a couple of weeks now. These things have been, you see what I'm saying? It takes, there's this great deal of patience. They don't just pop up overnight. I wonder if we thought of God with a bit more patience, if that would change how we think of him. I've noticed that most gardeners seem to have a fairly positive mindset. They live with this belief that they're making a difference, or there's this optimism that keeps them going, this belief that if I plant this thing, this will grow. So there's this sense of trust built in, but there's this anticipation that something good is going to happen. There's an anticipation that if I do this, the, 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 the creation will respond the way it's been designed, and something good will come from it. So there's this, uh, there's this positivity to it, this positive mindset, along with the patience, there's this positive mindset. I've also noticed that most gardeners seem to have this deep connection, like a deeper connection to life and the rhythms of life than I think many people do. There's something about, there's something about being made uh, of the dirt, that we as humans being made of the dirt. Um, we are contingent beings, and so we are made of this dirt, but it's the breath of God that's infused in us, that gives us this animating life force that allows us to be who we are. We are made from this dirt, but we are also dependent. So we are these contingent beings. We are con- contingent, uh, dependent upon things around us for life. For example, this dirt will help to grow these vegetables, these vegetables that I will eat to help sustain my body, which help feed me. So essentially this dirt ends up feeding my dirt. So there's this 
I'm connected via these plants and the stuff that I'm growing deeply to this, right? I'm connected to the soil. I've noticed most gardeners are, are, are deeply connected in this sort of way, connected to soil, connected to, to the weather, connected to the seasons, connected to the rhythms of life. There, there's, this, there's this rhythm of planting and harvesting, of sowing and reaping. There's this rhythm of working and resting that seems to be um, like built into this gardening lifestyle of sorts. I've also noticed that most gardeners are kind. They seem to have this gentleness of spirit. They're not looking to be at odds with things. They seem to work together. They, they like harmony. They, they, like in nature, there's these uh, harmonious symbiotic relationships. That's what most gardeners are looking for. How do we make this all work together? Yeah, what if we thought of God in such terms? I noticed that most gardeners are pretty generous most gardeners are pretty generous. Not all of them. I've known some gardeners, gardeners that um, are real pieces of work, to put it kindly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I don't think all of them are that way, but I know a lot of them are this way. A lot of gardeners are very generous. They like to share, whether it's knowledge, whether it's seeds, whether it's plants, whether it's crops. They like to give of themselves. They like to give what they've grown because they understand. What I understand is this. If I take a cutting and place it in the ground, I'm going to get another one. If I take this and I grow it and I get tomatoes and I put the seeds in the ground, I'm going to get more. And so what I understand about creation is that creation is always expanding and creating more of itself. And so if I understand creation in this particular way, then this points me to the, who the creator is. By the creation, I understand a bit about the creator. And what I understand about the creator is that if the creation is generous, then so must be the creator. Oh, by the way, the, all this stuff is working to grow and expand and create more of itself, you know, kind of how the gardener designed it to work. <laughs> it all kind of connects back together. The role of the garden in this whole thing is to help things flourish, to help all things grow, to help make things produce fruit. The gardener brings forth new life in this new creation, this new creation that will burst out of the old and create something brand new. You see, the hope of Easter that we have is resurrection, but the resurrection isn't the end of the story. It's like the starting off point. It's the jumping point. There's something new happening right here, right now in the middle of the old. When John tells the resurrection story, he clues us into the nature of who God is, thinking he was a gardener. The resurrection of Jesus who was mistaken for the gardener is one of the most incredible pictures of hope that we could possibly have, that in the middle of this messed up world, there is hope. Things can change. The gardener has come to nourish and to restore the entirety of the garden. And guess what? The whole world is his garden. And he's planted this seed in the middle of our old messed up world. The seed called Jesus and with that seed called Jesus, there is new life. This whole thing he's bringing back. In the middle of the old, there's the new. In the middle of the old, there's the new creation. I want to read something uh, from a guy that, uh, named Brian Zahn, incredible piece that he wrote, just a snippet of it, about Jesus as the gardener. <clears throat> and it goes like this. I think we have it on the screen for you to follow along as well. Uh, so if, you, if you're a reader, that's great. If you're a listener, just... Take time to focus here for a second. Talks about Jesus as the gardener. Jesus is the gardener who turns blighted wastelands into verdant gardens. Jesus is not a conductor punching tickets for a train ride to heaven. 
Christian hope is not so much about getting from earth to heaven as it is about getting heaven to earth. Jesus is not a lawyer to get us out of a jam, a legal jam, with his angry dad. God is not mad at sinners. Jesus told Mary to tell his disciples that his father was their father too. Jesus is not a banker making loans of his surplus righteousness. Modern people love economic metaphors, but they are terrible. Economic metaphors invariably produce bad theology. Jesus is a gardener, a gardener cultivating resurrection life in all who will come to him. The conductor, the lawyer, the banker metaphors are mostly false, giving a distorted view of salvation. The gardener and physician metaphor is beautiful and faithfully depicts the process of salvation in our lives. A gardener's work is earthly and intimate. Gardeners have their hands in the humus. We are humus, humans made from humus. Conductors and lawyers and bankers are connected with abstract and impersonal things like tickets, laws, and money. But gardeners, gardeners handle living things with living hands. Jesus is not afraid to get his hands dirty in the humus of humanity. That Jesus is a gardener with a good heart and a green thumb should change your perspective on life. I promise you that your life is not so messed up that Jesus can't nurture you into a flourishing state. This is the good news. This is what we celebrate today, Easter, resurrection, that in the middle of the old, dying, decrepit creation, new life has started, a new creation is here. What a beautiful thing to celebrate and be a part of. My hope and my prayer for you, my friends, is that you will come to see Jesus as the gardener, that you will come to know the Father as the gardener, and that will open up your relationship in all kinds of new and different sorts of ways, that you will experience the joy of bringing new life into existence, that you will experience new life yourself. My hope and prayer for you is that God will be working in you to create a better you, and that God will be working through you to create a better world. God bless.